Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget. Book an SUV or minivan for a family road trip, a pickup truck for some errands, or even test drive an EV. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Find your drive. Forget boring rental cars at Turo.com. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. I think, look, this is the game changer for people. Like, we don't have to be not-for-profits to make a difference. We can be for-profit, but we, you know, profit doesn't necessarily have to be a bad word. I mean, even, like, um, looking at not-for-profits and it's almost, like, counterproductive to not think about not making a profit as a not-for-profit, if you know what I mean. Those were the inspiring words of Justine Curtis. Justine is founder and CEO at Inspired Adventures. Inspired Adventures are the leading adventure fundraising agency in Australia and New Zealand, working with Australian, New Zealand and international charities to create inspiring global fundraising adventures. I was fascinated by Justine's journey, which you'll find is a unique blend of spiritual, altruistic and entrepreneurial. This conversation was recorded mid-COVID, and given how impacted the travel industry has been, it's been really interesting to hear how Justine and her team are responding to the emerging challenges of COVID. I have some exciting news to share prior to our Patreon thank you segment. I'm pleased to announce that I'll be partnering with Cooper Investors to produce a podcast mini-series on mental health and well-being. Producing a different sort of podcast has been on my agenda for some time, so this is an amazing opportunity to go deep and find some answers regarding our mental health system and also to share some of my own mental health journey along the way. Humans of Purpose is now 100% community-powered with our generous Patreon supporters enabling me to cover the majority of my monthly costs of production. As always, a big shout-out and thank you to our Patreon supporters, including Humanism, Clyde, Susie, Kynan, Deb, Suke, Carmen, Misha, Jasmine, Sue P, Joel H, Levi, Jules, Sally, Will, B, Lyndon, Olivia, Joe, McCartan, Joel F, and Stuart. You can, of course, also become a monthly Patreon supporter today for as little as a single cup of coffee at $4. Of course, you can support us at whatever level you like. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Justine as much as I did. So I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Justine Curtis, founder and CEO of um, Inspired Adventures. Sorry about my delay there. Call that a uh, COVID slash exhaustion delay. How are you going? I'm going really well, thank you. And I'm very, very pleased to be on the on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. You've just put the twins to bed and now just in a good state to sort of connect and have a chat. I want to ask you about many things, but I think rather than me jump right in, I'd love to hear you tell a bit of your own story and a bit about your journey and entry into the space. Okay. So obviously, um, originally from the UK and as a teenager, I discovered The Body Shop, um, founded by Anita Roddick. I was about 14 years old and I remember handing out pamphlets in the school playground talking about, um, you know, not testing cosmetics on animals and um, becoming vegetarian and all these um, incredible, um, I found very interesting and very 
um, just that idea of action and awareness and helping other people and campaigning was um, a very pivotal piece for me um, back then. And so that really was the time when I guess the seed was planted to want to do good and help other people. And then I went to university in Manchester, worked in London, went backpacking, ended up in Australia and um, decided to go traveling again and then went to India. And whilst I was in India, I was um, was there for about a year traveling and doing some voluntary work. And I came across a book written by a Tibetan monk called um, Fire Under the Snow. And the Tibetan monk's name was Paudan Gyatso. He was imprisoned by the Chinese in Tibet for um, 33 years. And when I read the book, I was 30 years old. So I was imagining this life of somebody um, for longer than I'd been alive, imprisoned in a cell just a couple of metres square. He was um, put in prison when the Chinese invaded Tibet in 1959. And his crime was you know, belief in Buddhism, Dalai Lama, and he had nothing but compassion for his captors. Eventually, after 33 years, the guards helped him escape. He met the Dalai Lama. He said, write a book. He turned this into this beautiful story, and he was um, traveling the world and lecturing um, about wanting to free Tibet. Um, I was teaching English to new arrival Tibetan refugees in Dharamsala, where the Dalai Lama lives. And I happened to meet somebody who I shared my story of reading the book with. And he said, oh, I know Powden, I'll take you to meet him. And I couldn't believe it. And within a day, I was there before this incredible human being um, in his little apartment and this um man just filled me with so much I guess um, love compassion just that pure nothing but just goodness and love and spirit and spent a couple of hours with him sharing stories and um, yeah it was quite mind-blowing actually being in the presence of someone that had been through that and had nothing but, um, like I said, compassion for the Chinese and his captors, but this unwavering desire to free Tibet. And so um, I was leaving and going to come back to Australia, and I would, I'd been practicing meditation and Buddhism, and I had a bit of anxiety about coming back and losing all of that, I guess, that connection with spirituality I'd found in India. And I said to him, what, what should I do? And he said, do good work, do dharma, just do good work. And that was in 2001. And so without advice, I came back and decided to um, take my marketing and sales skills and put them into fundraising and got a job in a fundraising agency and worked with lots of charity clients. And, and that was great. And then during that time, I was doing a management training course and I had to come up with, um, as part of the course, a goal to complete within 12 weeks to basically the idea was to get yourself out of your comfort zone. And so I put my hand up and said, I'm going to climb to the top of Kilimanjaro and raise $30,000 for my friend's um, AIDS orphanage in Zimbabwe because they need a new water pump. And I wasn't very fit and um, I'd never done any trekking and I'd never fundraised before. I don't know where that came from. Um, I've had a lot of moments ever since wondering where that came from. 
seemed like a good idea at the time, but it's that piece where you declare you're going to do something, you put it out in the universe, and then you've got to make it happen. It's literally just like that. I've declared it, I'm going to do it. And off I went and I roped in a couple of friends into my madness. We called ourselves Girls on Top, which helped get a bit of media attention and drive driver <laughs> fundraising. And um, within 12 weeks, I was literally standing on top of the highest freestanding mountain in the world. It wasn't pretty. You mentioned the twins earlier. It was worse than twin childbirth. <laughs> <was> a bit graphic. <laughs> um, summit night, you start trekking at 11 p.m. at night. Literally, you go to your go to sleep in your tent at nearly 5,000 meters at 8 p.m. Well, you don't actually go to sleep because you're not going to get woken up in three hours. And then you hear, right, come on, everybody, time to get up. 11 p.m. and you're crawling out of your tent you've got on like three pairs of trousers and 10 tops and 15 pairs of gloves and hats and everything and the wind chills minus 18 and that summit night is extreme it's literally one foot in front of the other and literally every five minutes the mental monkeys in my head were going you can't do it give up but there's somebody walking past you. They've given up. You can give up too. Go on. You can't do this. And I just heard Powden say, come on, never get up, never give up. Keep on going. And I did that on summit night between 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. reaching the top. And literally when you pause for a second, the windshield was like you, your eye, eyeballs were freezing. It was like icicles everywhere, chillblains, your water bladder frozen and kept going and so getting to the top of Killy after declaring I was going to do it 12 weeks previous was life-changing and I knew myself to be somebody that I could declare something I could do it and importantly I'd raise a lot of money for a cause that I was very passionate about and I went right I'm going to turn this into a business model and so I came down the mountain, I handed in my notice where I was working at a fundraising agency, and um, I went and approached the Tibet Council, an Australian Tibet organization, and I said, I'm going to create a trek for Tibet for you and raise money, and that was the first inspired adventure. That is an incredible story, and uh, I can sort of see, I think sometimes in life um, our behaviours and the things we do can shape how we feel about ourselves, which can then make us believe that we can go on and do even greater things, and uh, I get a lot of that from your Kilimanjaro story, actually. Yes, it's, it's very true. It's, um, it's quite mind-blowing what you, what you can do. It's literally just saying it, isn't it? And um, without overthinking things, you really can put your mind to things and achieve the, what would often become many people the impossible. And um, 16 years into the business now, we've raised um, $40 million. And, you know, we've had people with stage four cancer, people had a guy, Henry, completely blind, um, 25-year-old. We got him to the top of Kilimanjaro. He raised $35,000 for guide dogs. And we had this incredible African guide with him who my story pales into insignificance when you look at what Henry did for five days to the top with this incredible guide literally going left a bit, right a bit here, stepping up here. 
you know that 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 journey and you know not having that sense of sight but having that that feeling and that smell and that exhilaration and the emotion and maybe that sixth sense was kicking in and yes the people that that do our trips and the purpose behind their stories and what drives people is quite extraordinary I'm, I'm incredibly grateful every day for what's going on and so how, how do you kind of come to that model? Because it's, it's very fascinating, but essentially people are paying for their own travel. The fundraising doesn't go towards their travel expenses, but um, the idea of kind of going on a mission with that kind of sense of public accountability, um, setting your targets out, saying you're going to do a huge physical challenge, what, what speaks to you about kind of combining a physical hard challenge and charity? So, you know, good questions. Um, first of all, the model is... Um, we work with about 80 NGOs across uh, mental health, um, disease, um, international development, welfare, environmental causes, animal welfare, so and so on, um, and Indigenous, of course. Um, we create a whole marketing deck of materials for the NGO. They promote it. People sign up um, primarily from their supporter base. And they pay a registration fee and they commit to covering their travel cost, which is not tax deductible, and goes straight to the travel agency. And then they have to raise a certain minimum amount that goes straight to the charity. Typical minimum amount is $3,000. 70% of people go over target. So across the board, we oh, actually wow. raise, yeah, it's amazing. We actually raise an average of $5,500 per person. We had one woman in her 60s for Children's Westmead Hospital. She raised 83000 The target was 3000 wow. And it was, it was just tiny, tiny little itty-bitty things that she did, literally the Lamington Drive lady, to get to that 83000 raise. So um, amazing what people achieve. They are the most part driven by the cause um, they are wanting to to do good for a cause they're passionate about and secondly they get to go on an amazing adventure and connect with people and go trekking and you know have this incredible experience of being out in nature away from their phones and you know it's it, it's a wonderful opportunity for bonding and connection and we, li- we literally launch a trip about a year out from departure. So we give people this incredible goal-setting, fundraising, fitness, travel preparation, being a local hero kind of piece for their best part of a year, which for many people itself is quite life-changing before they get to go on the trip, you know, and connect with new friends for life. Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget. Book an SUV or minivan for a family road trip, a pickup truck for some errands, or even test drive an EV. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Find your drive. Forget boring rental cars at Turo.com. And so... um, 
I mean, it's very interesting because I can see 6,900 fundraisers to date, which is incredible, 600 adventures. So there's all sorts of different ways to test yourself and to get out there and really conquer um, things that, you know, will will inspire you about yourself really. Um, Dovetailing a little bit back to your story though, I mean, I, I, I sort of think two things I took away also from what you'd said was, do you think that you would have ended up launching Inspired Adventures if you hadn't met the monk? Um, that, that, that had written that book and the one who'd given you that inspiration? Uh, I don't, know. I think he was absolutely the catalyst. Um, yeah, it's, it's my word. Like this, if you imagine 33 years of being in a cell and he literally meditated and had nothing but compassion for his captors because of his steadfast belief and commitment for spirituality and goodness for one another. I mean, how can you not be motivated by somebody like that? Yeah, and I think just meeting your heroes as well is something I I certainly take from your story, how important it is to meet the people that inspire you the most. 100%. So, yeah, first of all, Anita Roddick, never met her, but that business for good, hearing of somebody back in the 1980s doing community trade, you know, the Brazil nut body butter that she originally created for Body Shop and... How, you know, recycle packaging back then. That was extraordinary. And then getting to pick up leaflets about positive female body image back then, you know, when you're going through your teenage years. It was it was incredibly, um, you know, I guess, mind-blowing in a way as opposed to going into Sainsbury's and Marks and Spencer's, going into a body shop and feeling so inspired by what was happening there, like one of the original social enterprises. And so the the model kind of lends itself almost perfectly to, to that social enterprise business model because it's for purpose and there's one side of it that's, you know, charity and it's sort of matched to the other side that is uh, revenue. Um, is that kind of how it sits in your mind? Absolutely. I think, look, this is the game changer for people. Like we don't have to be not-for-profits to make a difference. We can be for-profit, but we, you know, profit doesn't necessarily have to be a bad word. I mean, even like um, looking at not-for-profits and it's almost like counterproductive to not think about not making a profit as a not-for-profit, if you know what I mean. Even not-for-profits uh, really strive to make a profit all the time um, exactly. or a surplus. So it's very um, it's very counterintuitive terminology. It certainly is. It certainly is. And, you know, you invest money and you make money and our model for a charity, um, you know, typically across the board, they they pay us a small event management fee, but they get at least a five to one return on investment. So a typical adventure will raise between seventy and one hundred and twenty thousand dollars for a charity. Yeah, it's not extraordinary. Only, yeah, not only that, it's actually building lifelong advocacy amongst their supporters. So we've had one hospital foundation that we've raised across eight trips. million dollars but the people who've participated in those inspired adventures have generated a further 1.4 million dollars in fundraising revenue post-trip and that's life-changing and you you said that you know people are generally very successful with their fundraising campaigns um, achieving much higher goals than what they set do you ever have situations where people don't achieve the physical challenge but achieve the fundraising side (laughs) um the physical piece sometimes yes um and look we try to be as inclusive as possible so 
because we work with so many health NGOs, we have a lot of people with pre-existing medical conditions, you know, ranging from MS to cancers, leukemia, motor neuron disease, etc. And so we've got a brilliant medical team and we have a medical sign-off process and doctors have to approve people before they come on our trips, etc. And that's a huge piece of due diligence for Inspired Adventures. But as part of that, sometimes someone might not complete five days of cycling. They may have a day in the bus or something like that. And like we do take really good care of people. And, you know, again, after 16 years, we've got a, a really good track record of success very proud of what we've done it's amazing it would be remiss of me not to ask because i'm looking at all your wonderful tours on my next screen now given covid and how it sort of really put a pin in travel in in many ways i mean people are now fantasizing about travel all the time when they can get back to it what does it mean for you and how you approach your social enterprise very good question so if you can um imagine back in january our biggest international departures this year were china followed by italy and so when COVID was kicking in first with China and then Italy, it was, um, it was quite a crazy, frenetic time for Inspired Adventures. But of course, very quickly it became not, it wasn't our problem, it was everybody's problem. And, um, and so we were very mindful of, um, of that very quickly. It was a crazy, crazy time. We were moving our China trips to Vietnam and then from Vietnam to somewhere else and <laughs> kind of dodging it. Um, but breathing in and breathing out, it's actually, it's beautiful. We have so many Australian itineraries and New Zealand itineraries because we work with New Zealand charities as well. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be able to put tourism back into regional Australia where we need to be putting investment. We need tourism to be picking up again, particularly post bushfire crisis and um, and so we're working on a on a, a brilliant COVID plan. We've got groups going to Tasmania late this year and Kosciuszko. And so far, we've got about twenty five Lower Pinta treks, which is one of the most beautiful treks in Australia, booked in for next year, as well as lots in WA and South Australia and Kangaroo Island. So. We're well set up for Australian domestic and New Zealand domestic tourism and looking forward to when we can start to, I guess, in a very safe and well-run way, expand internationally again. But we're in no hurry to travel internationally. We're very, very mindful of safety and, and also, I guess, reducing our carbon footprint. So we're about to join a movement called Tourism Declares, um, and uh, we will be announcing our climate plan and domestic travel being a big part of that is actually a really positive thing. That's a very interesting approach, actually, and I think you certainly found the silver lining in what is a big disaster. How do you think all of this is going to change how people are thinking about travel? Do you think people are going to be more reluctant to um, travel internationally when it opens up again? Do you think people will just focus on domestic? I'm keen to get a sense from you as to how people will be feeling maybe you know, early to mid-next year. I think, um, good question, I think early to mid-next mid year there'll be a lot of reticence about anything international I think the um, trans-Tasman bubble will hopefully open up very cautiously. And I think I'm all for let's just keep borders, even state-based borders, shut as long as we need to, to really look after one another. And 
to be very cautious, very mindful, and just take it one day at a time. Let's not rush any of this. And I, I'm hoping that people have their sensible hats on and, and don't think too far ahead too quickly. I think there's beautiful, like, you know, I live in the Southern Highlands and my family just coming out of a big dose of chicken pox and um, now we're okay. We just took a trip down to the beach um, yesterday and, and it was amazing. And there's so much joy out of just doing a day trip, you know, and, and just one day at a time, just take it cautiously and slowly. And I hope everybody just continues to do that. That's well said. And so I, I'm asking this to all guests, so not you in particular, but um, is there something that you're, you're doing during COVID to kind of help you get some peace or a bit more um, well-being than you would otherwise? I have to say I feel fitter and healthier than ever before. <laughs> it's like, you know, as a mum of three kids, including two three-year-old twin boys, um, I, I'm, I'm meditating every morning for 20 minutes. I'm doing day walks, which I wasn't doing every day. I'm doing, you know, three decent fitness sessions every week. I'm eating healthily. I don't have that pressure on commuting into the city. Um, my team and I, we're all Zooming. We're working really well from home. We're breathing in, breathing out. Um, it's, it's actually felt like a very... Um, restorative time in a, in a weird way and I've got lots of particularly girlfriend mums who are saying the same thing it's there's a lot of stress there's a lot you know a lot of hardship there's also been a lot of opportunity just to take stock um so I'm feeling feeling very blessed and very grateful with the situation I'm personally in um, and, and are you a consumer of um you know are you a reader are you, are you reading anything interesting right now um, I'm reading a book called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Um, you know, very female, feminist empowering book. Um, I'm also reading Wardrobe Crisis by um, Claire Press. I'm a huge, huge fashion um, fan. I've always been, um, yeah, very, very big into, not trends necessarily, but I love clothing and style and that's a big passion of mine. But of course, you know, looking at how we can do that a lot more sustainably. If I could wave a magic wand, I'd have some kind of, I've got a bit of a, an idea there for a sustainable business fashion piece, but um, I have to be very sensible and <laughs> singularly focused on <laughs> inspired adventures. Um, Not yeah. too many inspiring ideas at once, you know, exactly. you've got to keep a lid on it. <laughs> yeah, inspired adventures does need, you know, I'm not going to pretend it's not easy that it's easy right now for the business. You know, we've gone through a process that the travel business side is sort of flatlined a bit and, and so forth. But I'm very, very grateful for, you know, JobKeeper and um, the team that I've got have worked incredibly hard. So we're weathering the storm incredibly well. Um, but, yeah. I also wanted to ask you about podcasts or if you're listening to anything else that's super interesting that you want to recommend. Um. I'm a big fan of um, health and well-being. Um, I'm really interested listening to people like Zach Bush. I don't know if you've heard of him no. uh, talking about um, soil regeneration and the coronavirus and how coronaviruses are not necessarily an evil thing. And the impact that we're feeling by the virus is not necessarily because it's 
bad and evil. It's how we're dealing with it and, and actually the pollution that we've got in the atmosphere that's causing the impact on um, the respiratory problems and things like that. So I'm really interested in stuff like that and um, really hopeful that we see we use this as an opportunity to look at how we are farming and eating you know good organic locally grown produce and that particularly that buying local piece so I'm I'm finding that that a very fascinating um conversation to listen to right now and so do you think um out of all of this that we will sort of focus and I guess as a society more on climate change is sort of a an immediate issue to tackle I hope so I ideally hope that that our government and the New Zealand government do particularly. Um, I have obviously have concerns about the US and I'm, you know, fingers crossed for those guys that they have a change of government coming up in the next few months time and, and that we start to move into a more, um, yeah, climate community focused world coming out of 2020. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been amazing chatting with you. How can people um, connect with you online and learn more about your wonderful work? Thank you. Um, so inspiredadventures.com.au is our website. Um, we're about to launch a brand new website coming up. We didn't use this opportunity for a rebrand over the past couple of months. That's going to be going live in the next um, month or so. So have a look at us online and um, contact me direct, justine at inspiredadventures.com.au. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me and hang around for a brief second. We'll have a quick debrief. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.